All right, well, good morning, everybody. Well, as uh, Chris said, I'm Skylar Barker. Most of you all know me by now. Um, I'd like to start by saying that it's been not quite, but in a couple months, it will have been about a year of us being here. Um, and so for those of you who don't know, I started out as an intern, and we just ended up becoming members. But, uh, but it's been, been a pleasure to be here. Um, you guys have been great, very welcoming. And uh, I know it's been very beneficial for us. And, and uh, so it's an honor to be here with you guys on a weekly basis and an honor to be here uh, speaking with you this morning as well. Um, today, we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 6, 11 through 17 is the primary scripture we're going to be focusing in on. So uh, I'll give you a second to get there. We'll read that and then uh, we'll pray and get started. All right, Ephesians chapter 6, verses, um, actually I'm reading 10 through 17, my bad, but. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. With that, let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for um, just giving us this opportunity to come gather here this morning and to come worship you, um, to come learn, um, to really learn and dive into what, you know, these words that you've left for us in Scripture, God. Um, I pray that as we, as we get into this, Lord, that you would just... Um, Speak through me, Lord, and that you would just speak to everyone in this audience and uh, just make your presence known, Lord, and, um, you know, show us, show us what it is that we're here to do as Christians, Lord, as followers of you. Um, God, help us minister to one another. Help us learn what tools you've left for us um, to continue sharing the gospel in this world, Lord, to continue the work that you started when you came and so, Father, with that, I just um, thank you, Lord, for your goodness. And uh, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so today we're talking about the armor of God, right? That's something we're all, well, anybody who's grown up in church is probably familiar with. Um, there's several components when it comes to armor that are mentioned, you know, um, several things that, that, uh, if you don't have them lined up just right, aren't going to do you any good. 
And as I was preparing for this, you know, it made me think of a similar situation I had that's where I, I wasn't prepared. I didn't have everything I needed to have. Um, I was that typical kid in high school that was always 10 minutes late, um, usually had half of what I was supposed to have with me for whatever event I was going to. And, uh, and so I, was a, I ran track, and just one example of this was one particular track meet where um, I was getting ready to run hurdles, and this was an event where typically, depending on what schools we were against, I, I would place in the top three, top four, something like that, right? Well, this particular event, I get there and I realize that the only thing I had with me was my track shorts. I didn't have my, jer my top jersey. I didn't even have my, my cleats. Had nothing. <laughs> and uh, in fact, I showed up in jeans and cowboy boots. You can't run in boots. So, uh, and this was, you know, second call before this event. I'm like, man, I got three minutes to change here. So, make a long story short, I ended up borrowing somebody else's jersey and ended up wearing, you know, I wore like size 12. I ended up cramming into some size 9 cleats and uh, I took off. <laughs> and ended up finishing like, I don't know, 6th or 7th place. Not very good. Not at all what I should have finished in just because I wasn't prepared. I didn't have everything I needed to have. Um, while this is a lot more serious situation, God is laying out for us here in this passage a list of things that will help us perform well um, in the tasks that he's given us to do here on earth. Um, before we get too much into the armor part, though, I want to give just a brief kind of recap of, of what we've gone over so far in Ephesians. You know, we're in chapter 6. This is the last chapter. So flip back with me for a second to chapter 1. And I won't spend a whole bunch of time here, but we'll kind of go through. might read a few verses for each one. So, chapter 1, Paul is reminding the Ephesians of their inheritance as believers, right? If we look at 1, um, verses 11 through 14, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him whose works all things according to the counsels of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So, this is the inheritance and uh, the power of God. He's reminding them of that. Chapter 2, Paul is reminding the Ephesians that they are saved by grace through faith. And that because of that, we are now one in Christ, those of us who follow him. So if we look at 2, um, 4 through 6 real quick. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So, God loved us while we were still sinners. We have now been saved by his grace. We look at three. Paul reveals what is the mystery of the gospel to the Ephesians. Um, and if we look at 
verse 6 tells us what that mystery is. The mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So, the gospel isn't just for Jews, wasn't just for Jews at that time. The gospel is for everybody, for all who will listen, anyone who is willing to accept it. Four, Paul is reminding the Ephesians of the importance of unity in the church and to put on the new redeemed self. Um, we'll look at, I might cut that down actually. So in chapter 4, Paul makes the comment that once we were one way, once we followed darkness, you know, once we, we lived lives of sin separate from God, that was our old man, right? But now, as followers of Christ, we are to put those old ways away. We're to follow him. We're to live in the light um, and pursue Christ's likeness, pursue God's glory. <clears throat> so that's putting on the new redeemed self. Five, he calls us to be imitators of God, to walk in love and to be children of light. We'll see that in 5 verse 8. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. And then that brings us to 6, which I know that was kind of a long, you know, I promise I'm going somewhere. But 6, we've come to the point where at the beginning of 6, Paul has given some commands for, you know, children to honor their parents. Parents, don't provoke your children. You know, as far as servants and masters, you know, are both um, commanded to, to do their work as unto the Lord, not as unto each other, but to, to work as if it was unto the Lord. And so, I say all that to say this. You know, Paul has given a list of, of things um, that will be beneficial for Christians in interacting with each other. Um, things that, you know, how we should act interacting with the church, with our boss, with our employees, our families. Um, and it's all kind of, up to this point, been within our Christian circle, interacting with each other. The end of chapter 6 here, he's getting into how we interact with the world, what we should expect when we get into the world, and what really lays out there for those who claim to follow Christ. So starting in um, verses 10 through 12, that's what we're going to be focused on here. And for those of you taking notes, there are three things we're going to primarily address today. We're going to look at who is our enemy? We're going to look at what tools do we have in our disposal to combat that enemy? And what does it look like in our day-to-day -day life? Some of the first steps in winning any battle is to know who your enemy is. You have to know how many they are. And you have to have a thorough understanding of the power they possess. <clears throat> In addition to these things, you must also have a realistic assessment of your own capacity to combat the assaults that the enemy brings. Now, starting in verse 10, Paul tells us, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. I'll read through 12. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. 
Paul lays out pretty clearly that, first of all, we are not capable of combating this enemy on our own. We don't have the strength to confront this kind of spiritual warfare by ourselves. Our strength has to lie in God. Our strength comes from God and from His might. It is only through His power, through the power of Jesus, who has already conquered all this, you know, power over death, power over Satan and all his demons. It is through his power that we even have a fighting chance against this stuff. Um, we can look at other scriptures like Psalms 121.2 says, My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. You know, there are many, many places in scripture that we're reminded that our help, our strength comes from God. We look at 11. He tells us, Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. That whole armor of God is, is what's broken down later, but that is the tool that God has given us to fight and to defend ourselves against this stuff. Um, but 12 is what I'll spend a little more time on here. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Our fight is not against flesh and blood. Sounds simple, right? But our fight is not against anything you can see. Our fight is against the spiritual realm. The enemy is ruthless. The enemy is conniving. He's manipulative. He's deceitful. They possess no moral code of conduct. There is no honor among thieves with these guys. There, there's no hesitation in their determination to destroy God's people. And they're very subtle at it. Um, it's, not, it's not always in your face like you would expect from when you think of an enemy. Um, you know, one of, in some of the research that I was doing for this, one of the writers put it this way, that the devil prefers to seduce people into disobedience. Um, he comes at you with, with little things. He'll, a little, little lies here and there, like, well, you could just do a little bit of this. Or, um, you know, you've just, well, the line's right there. You can come right up to it. Maybe just step over a little bit. As long as you jump back real quick, you'll be okay. You know, um, you, you see the lies in, in society every day, in, in TV, on your Internet, in your schools. Um, you know, the devil tries to convince us of things that are contrary to God's Word. Um, things about families, things about um, about marriages, about even how churches should be run. You know, you think the devil doesn't attack churches and church administration. You know, you're wrong about that because he does too. Um, the devil's sneaky. You know, the Bible tells us the devil appears as an angel of light. They look, you know, they, they portray themselves as good guys. Um... You know, they will feign good intent, but in reality, um, they, they mean no good intent at all. Um, 
The other thing we have to remember is that for the time being, this world is the devil's realm. You know, and while in the end God will claim it, for the time being we are living in his domain. Um, that means he has control over governments, control over societies. Um, all these, you know, if you guys are familiar with the term woke issues that we see, which that's kind of a bag there, but, you know, um, the stuff we see being put in, in media and in our schools and, and in our jobs every day that are contrary to what the Bible tells us, um, those are the devil's schemes. Those are things that he pushes um, because he can, because he has the power to do it here, and so he will. Um, but primarily, the devil works through deception and through sowing fear and doubt into Christians. Um, you know, the devil would love nothing more than to make you doubt your faith, to make you um, doubt God's power, to make you doubt, um, to make you doubt that. Uh, to make you doubt that you're covered by God and that you're protected by Him. Um, he will also try to convince you that you're alone. You know, that you're alone. and Because if He can get you to believe that you're alone, if He can get you segregated from everybody else, to get you to isolate yourself from your fellow Christians, from that discipleship that the Bible tells us to, to uh, give one another, then you're a lot easier target that way too. But that's where in 13, um, God or uh, Paul tells us again, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. So we've talked about this armor of God a couple times. Let's get into what that really is. The whole armor of God um, in some of the research I was doing, the, uh, the Greek term for that is panoplia, if I'm saying that correctly, which it just literally means full armor of God. Um, but the interesting thing that I had never paid attention to in Scripture really up until this point was the fact that it doesn't say the armor from God, it says the armor of God, as in like possessive, like this armor is God's. Um, you know, and this passage isn't actually the first time that, that reference to spiritual armor has been made either. If you look at uh, Isaiah 59, 17, um, it says, He put on, referring to God, He put on righteousness as a breastplate and the helmet of salvation upon His head. Um, so that's a er, much earlier reference to, to spiritual armor. But um, it's important to point out that this was God's armor first. This, this belongs to him. It was forged and furnished by him, but he gives it to us. And with that armor comes his power as well. Um, the other thing to think about, too, is if you think Jesus wasn't wearing this armor the whole time he was here, I uh, bet you he was. You know, there would be no way for any human being to live a perfect life without it. Um, but we'll get into in 14, the first little bit here. Stand therefore, having fastened on 
the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, what does a belt do, right? A belt holds your pants up. A belt holds your coat together. A belt keeps, keeps everything together. Um, works the same way with armor. You know, a belt in the sense of armor, it, it holds, holds your armor together, but it gives you a place to put your sword, gives you a place to keep your tools on. Um, in the same way, truth acts as a spiritual belt because truth is what binds everything else together. Um, if, if any aspect of this armor, if any aspect of God isn't true, then all the rest of it falls apart. Um, you know, we must keep ourselves, as Christians, you know, we must live lives of truth. We must keep ourselves from falling into hypocrisy or being deceitful. Um, one of the quotes that I'm going to take from, from a John Stott, who wrote one of the books that I was using as a resource, he said, to be deceitful, to lapse into hypocrisy, to resort to scheming, this is to play the devil's game. And we shall not be able to beat him at his own game. Um, living a life of truth and uh, knowing that the things we believe are true is what holds everything else together. The breastplate of righteousness, breastplate, is what protects your vital organs, right? Um, protects your heart, your lungs, maybe your liver if it goes down that far. Um, equivalent to a modern bulletproof vest if you wanted to throw that out there. A breastplate is something that traditionally was very strong. It could take many blows before it was compromised. It could take glancing blows even at times. It could take you know, arrow shots, direct hits from swords. Um, it's very important. But how does righteousness act as a breastplate or offer us protection in that same way? Righteousness according to biblical standards means to be in right standing with God, essentially is what that believes means. It means you're absolved of past grievance, that you are living a life that is in accordance with Christ's likeness, and you are living a life that would bring glory to God. So, how does that offer protection? It is the pursuit and fulfillment of a righteous life lived according to God's standards that will protect your vitals. Um, just like an enemy is going to look for chinks in your armor in the midst of battle, the devil's going to look for chinks in your spiritual armor in the midst of battle. If you're living a righteous life, if you are pursuing the attributes of God, if you are um, fulfilling the calling that God has placed on your life, and if you are living righteously, the devil's going to have far less chinks to find. There are going to be far less footholds for him to hold. Um, And so when, when you are protected by that, it makes you far less likely to fall into, to fall into temptation or to uh, allow seeds of doubt to grow. Um. <clears throat> the gospel of peace is one that, if I'm being honest with you, has always been one of the hardest for me to visualize as, as shoes, you know, the shoes of the gospel. 15, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. 
Had to think about this one for a while, but in the same way that a soldier should be ready to run into action at a moment's notice, so we should also be ready to share the gospel at a moment's notice. 1 Peter 3.5 tells us, But in your hearts honor the Lord as holy, always being ready to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. So I'll ask you again, what happens when you have good shoes? You know, um, when you have good shoes, you're comfortable, you're confident, you know that you can take a nice little stroll, or if you need to run right now, you can do it. Um, it gives you something firm to stand on. The gospel is the same way. Um, in the same way that the shoes give a person confidence of having sure footing while they charge into battle, so the gospel is our sure footing amidst the conflict in the world that we face. We know that it is only because of the gospel that we are able to maintain right standing with God. We know that it is our faith in the salvation that Jesus Christ offers that gives us the hope of an inheritance later. And we know that we're commanded to share that gospel with as many people as will hear it. And so that's something that we must always be ready to do at a moment's notice, always be ready to give a defense. We look at 16... In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. This one is interesting because um, a shield can be used for many things. You know, a shield is used primarily for protection. Um, it's not purely defensive. I mean, you can beat an enemy back with a shield. You know, there's that aspect to it. But the shield that Paul describes is specifically designed for putting out flaming arrows. I did not know that until I got to doing some research about it. But um, this shield would have been double layered. It would have been made of wood. First layer would have been covered with canvas. The second layer would have been glued to the first and then covered with leather. And it would have been about that tall. It would have been big enough for a grown man to hide behind. Um, and as I said, it was specifically designed to put out the tar-dipped flaming arrows that were often shot in battle. So this is imagery that Paul would have, he, you know, he used on purpose, and the people would have understood. They would have known exactly what he was talking about. Um, so that's a very specific kind of shield he's talking about. Um, but what are these darts? What are the flaming darts that often get thrown at us? So these darts can be fear. They can be doubt. Um, they can be guilt for sins that you've already been forgiven for. Um, you know, they can be depression. I mean, there are many things. I can tell you right now that if you don't put out these darts with faith, the shield of faith, um, the consequences can be pretty bad sometimes. I know, uh, for me in particular, every time I have ever allowed myself to make a decision based on fear and not faith, I've come to regret it later. I've made some very 
very bad decisions based on fear. When if I would have just had faith, if I would have trusted God, if I would have trusted that He has my best interest in mind, um, then my life could be a lot different. And it's the same for, for everybody. You know, when you allow the, the, the seeds of fear and the seeds of doubt to grow, um, you know, your mind gets racing, you can get stuck in your own head. Um, but you have to trust God. You have to have faith that He's going to protect you, that whatever your life ends up being, that He will provide the right path through it. Ultimately, it's faith in His power. So, and faith in His promises that He gives us in Scripture. Um, Isaiah 54:17 is one of these promises that we can lean into. Um, he says, No weapon that is fashioned against you shall succeed, and you shall refute every tongue that rises against you in judgment. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their vindication for me declares the Lord. Another one is Psalms 18:30. This God, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in Him. Now, you, you might ask yourself, no weapon forged against you shall prosper. Like, well, I know lots of people that have died, or there are lots of Christians who have died on missions, you know, been tortured and killed. Um, that's not quite what he's talking about. What he means with that, ultimately, is that even if you face earthly persecution, um, your soul will always be safe. You know, ultimately our inheritance is not on this world. Um, ultimately, our inheritance is with God. And so no weapon that comes against us can prosper eternally. <clears throat> and, you know, as we see, you know, earlier in Ephesians chapter 1, we can have faith that God has power over all this anyway. Um, he has power over all the evil spirits of this world. And... Uh, as servants of the one true God, he's given that to us as well. Moving on to 17, we move into the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So, these are two of the most important pieces of armor, your sword and your helmet. Your brain is arguably the most important part of your body. And your sword is its the only offensive weapon listed here. You know, that's kind of, a, kind of your lifeline. Um, but starting with the helmet, you know, the helmet does a couple different things. And in Roman times, specifically, did a couple different things. Not only did it protect your head, but helmets in particular often possessed a crest or an emblem as well. So in addition to offering protection, they depicted your rank and your side told everybody who you are, how important you are, and where you belong. And our salvation is what does that for us. Our salvation gives us assurance of our position in Christ. It is the reason for the hope that lives in our hearts. It's a reason for our confidence of victory, because we know in the end we win, right? And our protection from the lies and the seeds of doubt that the enemy would otherwise sow into our minds. If we look at 1 Thessalonians 5.8, you know, reminds us, but since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Um, 
in addition to protecting us, it also makes very clear to the rest of the world whose side we're on. Um, just like you would have been able to see those crests on the Roman helmets from a long ways away. Um, if you're living your life according to God's standards, people will be able to tell from a long ways away. Um, in your jobs, in your families, you know, they'll be able to see it without you ever even having to say a word most of the time. Um, but the sword, like I said earlier, is the only truly offensive piece of equipment in this passage. Um, in the same way that we wouldn't charge into a modern assault without at least one gun, hopefully several, um, it would be foolish to take on a spiritual enemy without your sword. Now that sword is the living word of God. It's this right here. Um, this word is our, is our lifeline. It is our guide. It tells us if we're on the right track. It encourages us in the face of trial. Um, it reminds us who we are and with whose power we have been entrusted. When the enemy sends his darts and, and tempts us into turning away from God, um, it will remind us what God has called each of us to do, what calling God has placed on each and every one of our lives. Um, which ultimately, first and foremost, we are called to glorify God in all that we do, to pursue Christ-likeness, and to share the hope of the gospel, and to share it with all who will listen. But we cannot do that effectively without the cutting edge of our sword, which is this word. This is what will sharpen us. This is what will keep us safe. And this is what will allow us to fend off attacks. Um, a practical example of this is, you know, there have been many times in my life where I've been faced with tough decisions or faced with loss or whatever the issue may be. And you sit there and you get to thinking to yourself, how could this happen? Why did this happen? You know, Lord, why is this happening to me? Um, or you're just scared. You're like, God, I really don't want to do that. You know, like, I don't know how that's going to turn out. Um, and it's having, it's having God's words in my heart and being able to think back through those um, and dwell on those things that has allowed me to, to have courage um, with things that, that I'm not sure about or to deal with loss or to deal with, with um, attacks from the enemy, you know, to remember who I am and to remember whose I am. Um, and you can, only, you can only do that if you know what God says in this word. So, I forgot to point out my second point. I just realized that. But the third point we're getting to. So we've talked about who our enemy is, right? We know that's the devil and all his demons. Um, the tools that we have at our disposal, that is the armor. Um, so now we're getting to what does that mean for us on a day-to-day -day basis? Practically, you know, we can talk about these things, but what does it mean to live it out? The first thing is truth. We have to be truthful. We have to live honest lives. And we have to trust, we have to have faith that everything in this book is true. Because like I said before, if any of it is false, then all of it's false. 
So we have to have our lives based in the truth of the gospel. We have to live our lives based in the truth that we have been redeemed. And we have to deal fairly. We have to live honestly with other people, with other Christians. And most importantly, live honestly and fairly with those who aren't Christians. To set an example for them. So that truth, that's your belt. That's what holds your life together. Second is the righteousness. That's your breastplate. Live to the best of your ability a righteous life. Now, we all know you can't do that on your own. Neither can I. But with God's help, it will eventually be achieved. Maybe just not on this side of heaven. Um, but live, live an honest life. Live a life that glorifies God. Live a life that is right. You know, find out how God says to live in here. Um, pursue Christ with, with every piece of your being. You know, there's a, a book I read recently that probably one of the best ways I've, I've heard anyone say anything about God's glory. You know, it says that we think of God's glory and our happiness as two different things. And they're not. The pursuit of God's glory is also the pursuit of your own happiness. You will be most happy. You will be most fulfilled. You will have the most joy in your life when you are living the life that God has set for you to live in bringing glory to Him. So live a righteous life in pursuit of God's glory and in pursuit of Christ's likeness. Then we come to the gospel. The gospel is the one thing that if you had three minutes left to live, that should be the last thing on your lips. The gospel is, aside from God's glory, our first and foremost priority. You know, you have to imagine this world like a burning building. You know the way out, but not everybody does. And so, just like you would if there was somebody stuck in a burning building, you'd be running in trying to do everything you can to get them out, to get them to safety, to save their life. Um, it should be that much more important with this. You know, um, you should be giving every effort and sharing the gospel with everyone you come in contact with who's willing to hear it. Um, the shield of faith. You have to have faith in God, and you have to have faith in what God has told you through His Word. Um, and it's, that's, that's about the simplest but most honest way to put it. You just have to take Him for His Word. You have to believe what He tells you. God told you He'll protect you, so He will. God told you that you're redeemed through His Son, so you are. Um, and God's told us that in the end, He wins the game. And so we have to believe that too. Hide behind that shield of faith. Trust God to extinguish those darts. The helmet of salvation. It's the knowledge of your salvation and the knowledge of your place with God, your right standing with God because of Christ that allows you to move forward confidently and allows you to protect your mind from the doubt and from the fear that the enemy tries to spill. The enemy can try to tell you you're not good enough. The enemy can try to tell you that, well, you're not really saved. The enemy can try to tell you that, well, you don't deserve it or you need to work harder for God to really like you, whatever it is. 
it's knowledge of the truth of salvation, the truth that while you can't do it on your own, God's already done it for you, that is going to uh, allow you to protect your mind from those things. And then finally, we get to the sword, which is the Word of God. In your daily life, your sword should be with you all the time. You shouldn't go anywhere without it. Um, the Word of God is something that you cannot spend too much time meditating on, too much time reading. You could read this whole book back to back, and uh, you could do that. I don't know, five times a year, something crazy like that. I'd argue most of us don't read it through all the way five times a year. But you could, and it would be different every time. It would speak to you differently every time. It's like a book with no bottom. You never truly understand it. Um, you know, half the time when I read Scripture, you know, most books, you read a book, you know the book. This book, you read the book, and the book knows you. It's, it's not like anything else. And it is what will save you. It is what will allow you to fend off those attacks. It, it is what will allow you to have peace in the midst of trial. And it is what will allow you to uh, truly get to know and understand the God that you serve. He left it here for us. It was inspired by him. And so we should read it. We should use it. Um, and for those of you with families, you know, I don't have kids, but that, that was something that was very instrumental in my life was when Scripture was read at family events. You know, we would read it as families together or, or things like that. So, you know, intertwine it with your life. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of where we're at with it. Just our enemy is Satan, right? But God's given us tools to combat that. And so these are the tools that if we're going to be successful in this, this world that we face, have to be applied every day. So with that, we'll pray and uh, be finished. Dear Lord, uh, thank, you for, um, thank you for giving us this time, Lord, to to study what it looks like to be good soldiers for you, Lord. Um, while we know that, that the enemy is at large for the time being, we know that his time is short. And we know that you've given us the tools to combat his attacks, Lord. And we know that ultimately you are our protector and that ultimately you win the game, God. And so I just pray that as, as we go on throughout our weeks, throughout our lives, that, um, that you would help us, Lord, learn what it means to live lives of truth, Lord. Learn what it means to, to live righteously. And, uh, you know, God, present us with opportunities to share your gospel with other people, God, with people who need to hear it. God, I just pray that you would increase our faith, Lord. Um, help us to rely on you and, and trust, trust in you to extinguish those darts as they come, God. And I pray... Uh, I pray that you would just speak to us, Lord, as we do read our word on our daily lives, Lord, and, and just um, allow us to keep that sword sharp, keep that sword ready. In Jesus' name, amen.